Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship. Uh, after a very uh, snowy, wintry week, uh, good to have you in worship this morning. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, as we begin this Lenten journey, open our hearts and minds. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are now in the Lenten season. Started with Ash Wednesday. Lent is the 40-day period uh, leading up to Easter, if you take out Sundays because they're already holy days. Uh, for Lent, many people will uh, give something up or take something on. But I believe and have always believed that Lent is a season of soul-searching. It's a season of spiritual reflection and growth uh, if we are open to it, if we take it seriously. Uh, I think that Lent is a time to raise that profound question that Jesus asked in the Sermon on the Mount. I shared it with you on Ash Wednesday, where he says in Matthew 7, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Lent is a time for us to grow, a time for us to grow in our faith, uh, to grow in our relationships, to grow in our spiritual life. So today we're starting a brand new sermon series called The Life of Jesus. And we are going to closely look at Jesus's life and teachings uh, through the lens of Mark's gospel. Now, I want to share just a little bit of background on Mark as we begin this, because I think it's important to set the context. Uh, some scholars believe that Mark's gospel is the most important of the four gospels. Why would they say that? It doesn't come first in the New Testament. Well, Mark was the earliest gospel, uh, dated somewhere between 65 and 70 AD, uh, or roughly 35 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The other two synoptic Gospels that are similar to Mark, Matthew and Luke, get much of their information from Mark's Gospel. In fact, there are only 24 verses in Mark's Gospel that you don't find in either Matthew or Luke's Gospel. As you know, uh, the Gospel of Mark comes second, so you have Matthew, and the reason that Matthew comes first is because it was uh, more popular uh, it's a much more uh, Jewish gospel written for a Jewish audience. And so that's why Matthew comes first in the New Testament. But when you read Mark's gospel, you are reading the earliest account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The author of the gospel is a, a guy by the name of John Mark. He grew up in Jerusalem. He was at the center of the early church. And so as a young man, Mark used to see the disciples uh, come in and out of his home with Jesus. And, and, and he was very close friends uh, with, with Peter. In fact, uh, Peter even refers to him as Mark, uh, my son. And so Mark had a, a close tie with Peter, and that's what he's basing his gospel account uh, on. So some have concluded that, that Mark could have been Peter's secretary or uh, his uh, kind of uh, protege or understudy. Uh, but the primary source for Mark's gospel uh, is the teachings, the sermons of, of Peter. That's where Mark is getting 
his gospel material. And so that's why many people believe that it's the closest thing that we have to an eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus. The eyewitness, of, of course, being the apostle Peter. And if you remember, it was Peter to whom Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, if you read Mark's gospel closely, what you will notice is that there are many specific and vivid details that could only have been recognized and recorded by somebody who was actually there. And we don't see these same kinds of details and descriptions uh, in the other uh, three gospels. One of the main characteristics of Mark is the human side of Jesus. Of course, he didn't forget the divine side of Jesus, but in this kind of eyewitness, realistic account, Mark pictures the human side of Jesus, uh, such as his emotions, um, his hunger, his thirst, his exhaustion, and so forth. And so as you read it, you need to pay attention to that because you'll notice uh, that that shows up. There were actually some people in the first century who believed that Jesus was only divine, uh, only, uh, only spirit, and they did not believe in the human side of Jesus. They even said that if you follow Jesus, you would see that he left no footprints. Well, that's not true. And Mark clearly makes that point. Uh, he makes the case that, that Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. He walked the earth. He lived like you and me. Mark does not begin with a uh, nativity account like we find in Matthew and Luke, a birth narrative. Uh, but Mark does begin by telling us about the preaching and prophecy of John the Baptist and how he paved the way for Jesus and how he baptized Jesus by immersion in the Jordan River. Now, some have said that this significant event, the baptism of Jesus, uh, is the argument for the time when he received his divinity. Um, some would say that at his baptism, rather than at his birth, you know, Jesus became divine. Uh, but I think we should stop and ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, after all, isn't baptism for sinners? And wasn't Jesus perfectly perfect and sinless? Uh, some have suggested that by being baptized, Jesus was identifying with the people that he wanted to reach, people who were sinners. In other words, he did not do it for his own sake, but for the sake of others to set an example, which is very typical of his entire life and ministry. Through his baptism, Jesus was also making a commitment to the call of God, to the kingdom of God. He was accepting the mission for which he had been sent. And immediately following his baptism, Mark tells us uh, that Jesus then retreated uh, to the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted, put to the test, and it's that 40-day period in the wilderness that gives us the season of Lent. Now for Jesus, his baptism was a moment of decision and commitment. It was a pivotal moment in his life and ministry. It marked the very beginning of his ministry. When he was baptized, he received God's approval. Mark says that the, the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, it was a spirit of gentleness and truth, the spirit of wisdom and courage, and the comforting spirit that God would be with him throughout his life and his ministry, all the way to the cross. 
And we know this to be true because a voice came down from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And when you and I are baptized, and we are able to, you know, make that commitment to follow Christ and to live the life that He calls us to live, I think we too receive that blessing from God. We too receive God's approval and God's endorsement. The next thing that Mark tells us is that in verses 14 and 15, he tells us how Jesus begins his actual ministry. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. It's very important to note that Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. It's here and now. It's not some time in the future. It's not some time after we die but it's right here and right now in this world. Other translations of this text say the kingdom is among us or the kingdom is within us. In other words, it's not something that we look forward to one day, but it's something that we experience right now in this life. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer every week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there's so many Christians in our culture who are so wrapped up with the notion of the second coming of Jesus Christ that they completely forget about the first coming of Jesus. So many Christians in our society view faith in God as a ticket to going to heaven one day when they die, but it's not really important to them right now. But Jesus says the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. In Mark, Jesus says that the way we begin to experience the kingdom is to repent and believe. The Greek word for repent is metanoia, which when you translate it literally means a change of mind or a change of behavior. If we are to repent and change our ways, then we must make a decision that our former way of life was unhealthy. But then we must follow that up by actually changing our patterns of behavior once and for all. Many of us know that the way that we are living right now uh, is wrong. Many of us want so badly to change something uh, in our lives, but we just can't seem to make it happen. Well, I would argue today that Lent is a perfect time for you to try to make that happen. When it comes to the kingdom of God here on earth, we're either in it or we're not. We either repent and believe or we don't. And our belief or our unbelief becomes very evident through our words and through our actions. It becomes very clear uh, through the way that we treat other people. So following Jesus must lead to a change in our attitude and in our behavior. And we need to be able to answer the questions or the question, why do we want to follow Jesus? We need to be able to articulate and answer that question. If I asked you, why do you want to follow Jesus? What would you say? Many Christians can't answer it. They can't articulate a reason for that, which is bizarre. And the answer, of course, may not be the same for everybody. You may want to follow Jesus because he's the son of God or because your parents raised you up in the church and taught you to do that, 
Or you may want to follow Jesus because he helps you to love other people and not be selfish in a very self-centered world. Because you need an example of how to live your life with meaning and with purpose. Because you recognize that the way of the world is not healthy and there's a much better and more meaningful way to live. You may want to follow Jesus just because you acknowledge that our world needs more love. There's too much hate, too much tension, too much anger, too much resentment. And so you want to bring more love into the world. All of those are perfectly fine reasons as to why uh, somebody would want to follow Jesus. But whatever the reason is, we need to be able to articulate it. We need to be able to identify why following Jesus is important to us. Um, because if we can't articulate that, then chances are we won't make it a priority in our lives. Now, finally, the last thing that we see in this first part of Mark's gospel is the way that Jesus calls his disciples. If you look at verses 16 to 20 in chapter 1, verses 13 to 17 in chapter 2, and verses 13 to 19 in chapter 3, you will see that Jesus comes up to his disciples and he says, come, follow me. And for the disciples, this was their moment to decide. This was their moment to change. He didn't call them to accept some creed or theology. He didn't call them to debate morality and ethics. He didn't call them to argue over social issues. Uh, he didn't call them to form a committee in order to discuss the good news that he was bringing. He didn't call them into a new political party, but he called them to simply come and follow him. And this shows us that Christianity is not about an institution or a certain creed or doctrine or theology. It's not about ecclesiastical hierarchies or church politics. It's not about having power or numbers or money or getting your own way. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and following him. Rubel Shelley, who's leading a Bible study for us during Lent, wrote a great book a number of years ago uh, called I Knew Jesus Before He Was a Christian and I Liked Him Better Then. Uh, always loved that title. But in the book, Rubel says, Jesus did not round up disciples to teach about the Trinity, the millennium, baptismal formulas, worship protocols, head coverings, the rapture, female clergy, or a thousand other topics that divide Christians today. He focused on the fundamentals instead. He gave his followers their two-question final exam on the very first day of the course, and he left them with a lifetime to cram for it. What are the questions on the exam? Rubel says, first, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And secondly, do you love your neighbor as yourself? These are the only two questions that matter. Christianity is about a relationship with Christ, and either we have it or we don't. And if we don't have it, then we need to get it. We need to work on it. But I believe it starts with reading and reflecting upon his teachings and his commandments, and that's what we're going to be doing during this Lenten season. So what happened when Jesus called the first disciples? 
How did they respond to his invitation? Well, in every case recorded in Mark's gospel, they responded immediately. And they left everything behind in order to follow him. They left jobs. They left money-making careers, even family and friends, because they believed that this opportunity was so important. They believed that their life was about to be changed forever. There was something about Jesus that they knew would transform their lives. So when Jesus called them, they lived out the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. Just like Martin Luther once said at the Diet of Worms, here I stand, I can do no other. And you know what? Jesus was calling them to active mission. He didn't call them to ease, convenience, and comfort, but to service and dedication. And in the same way, as we begin this Lenten season, I think Jesus is calling each and every one of us to serve, to be transformed, to repent and change, and to go and help other people. And like the early disciples, we must be willing to accept that challenge immediately and without reservation. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as we start this Lenten journey is, are we responding to that call? Are we ready and willing to follow? Are we ready and willing to grow? One of the themes of Mark's gospel is the challenge of discipleship. We see it over and over again, that following Jesus, being a disciple, is not easy. It's not convenient. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. Uh, we must make it a priority. I want to close this morning with the words of a New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright. Uh, N.T. Wright wrote a great book called Simply Jesus, a book I'd recommend to you. Uh, but this is what N.T. Wright says about the kind of king that Jesus was. He says, they were looking for a builder to construct the home they thought they wanted, but he was the architect, coming with a new plan that would give them everything they needed, but within quite a new framework. They were looking for a singer to sing the song they had been humming for a long time, but he was the composer, bringing them a new song to which the old songs that they knew would form at best, the background music. He was the king, all right, but he had come to redefine kingship itself around his own work, his own mission, his own fate. Jesus teaches us and calls us to a new way of life, a new way of living and being. And I promise you, if you will take him up on this invitation, then your life will be anything but boring. Amen.